We're in the middle of a, of a series in which we're looking through um, a sermon that Jesus preached. It's a very famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I, I learned this week that there's a penguin book of famous speeches, and this is ranked as the most famous speech in human history. So there you go. Uh, it's a wonderful sermon, and brilliant illustrations, succinct points, immensely challenging and immensely comforting at the same time. It really is just incredible. I have absolutely loved spending time in this sermon these past few weeks, and uh, I hope that we have benefited from it as a church. But it's a sermon that is really about one thing, what it looks like to be an authentic follower of Jesus, or to use Matthew's language, what it looks like to be part of Jesus' kingdom. So it's not an evangelistic sermon. You don't become a Christian by doing what Jesus says in the sermon. You become a Christian by repenting of your sin, turning to Jesus, and asking for forgiveness. We see that right at the very start of Matthew's gospel. But if you really are a Christian, then this sermon is here to show you how you should be living as someone who has been forgiven by the grace of Jesus. And it does that really in two ways. Firstly, it exposes the false sense of self-righteousness that many of us have. And secondly, it, it leads us to, to strive for this wholehearted devotion to God our Father. Um, it's a like I've said, a wonderful, brilliant, challenging sermon. And those two strands of that sermon uh, we see very much here in chapter 7. Uh, and this part here, I think, really is all about one thing, and that is how genuine followers of Jesus are meant to treat other people. So let's read these words. These may be very familiar to some of you, um, but let's look at them together. Chapter 7, verse 1 to 12. This is Jesus speaking. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets." Well, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon here uh, in Chalmers on a text that is so open to misinterpretation as this one here. So uh, let's pray for God's help as we look at this together. 
Father, thank you for these amazing words that we see in this passage. Father, I pray that as we look at this, we, that you would just take away the over-familiarity many of us have with this, that we would see the, the profound, radical, challenging teaching that Jesus has for us in this passage. Father, there is not multiple meanings to your word. There is only one meaning. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand what has been said here in this sermon. Father, I pray that this would change not just our lives, but this would change our church. May we be the kind of people that Jesus describes in this sermon. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the thing that links all this passage together, like I said, is how we are to treat others. And I've tried to, to kind of sum up these verses in one sentence. Uh, have it there on your service sheet. Uh, I'm going to kind of, as we look through this, break apart that sentence and break apart what we see here. The sentence is this, and I was thinking about using this as the title for the sermon. It would have been a good old school Puritan title. This is it. Genuine kingdom people must not judge self-righteously, nor show a lack of discernment. Rather, we must humbly seek God's help to humbly love others. That is the, the big point of this entire section. And that's what I want to look at as we look through um, these verses together. Verse 1 to 6, they are the kind of, I guess, the negative. This is what people in Jesus' kingdom are not to do. And verse 7 to 12 are the positive this is what we are to do in relation to others. So firstly then, genuine kingdom people must not judge self-righteously. Verse 1, very well-known verses, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is one of these sayings of Jesus that I think is often wildly misquoted. In order to understand what is being said here, we need to, to understand the context. So when Jesus says, judge not, he is not saying that we must never say that someone is wrong. He is not saying that we must never uh, negatively evaluate a belief system or that we must never say that someone's lifestyle is wrong. That is not what Jesus is saying here, which is often how people misuse this verse. And, and it's kind of more to do with our, um, our, our twisted view in culture that somehow we think that, that in order to create a society of loving and accepting people, we have to affirm everything about that individual. We have to affirm everything that they believe. And of course, that is not true acceptance. That's, well, that's manipulation, See, a truly accepting and loving society is one in which we can be free to say to people, you're wrong, I disagree with you, but I still love you. That's true acceptance. So Jesus is not saying here, look, we mustn't have any critical faculties. And we know that just from, from reading the Sermon on the Mount. At 15 verses later, Jesus calls us to judge between true and false teachers of the gospel. This whole sermon is there to expose false religion. It's a real go at the, the religious clergy of Jesus' time. It's about judging between right and wrong. It's about judging, as we'll see next week, between the narrow and the broad way. It, it, in that regard, there's probably, there's probably been no more judgmental sermon ever preached than the Sermon on the Mount. 
So what is Jesus saying in verse 1? Well, I think the illustration that he gives in verse 3 to 5 really helps us out. Um, It's quite a funny illustration, but with a very serious and sober point. So, Imagine as, uh, if you were coming into church tonight, you maybe cycled here, and as you cycled here, you forgot to wear those uh, weird cycling goggles that sometimes people wear, and you got just a little bit of dirt from the road in your eye. And imagine you just came in the door, you got this little bit of speck, little dust in your eye, and I'd say I came out to greet you, and I came, and you saw me with a massive two-by-four sticking out of my eye. Now, you would be shocked to see that, I imagine. But you'd probably be even more shocked if I came up to you and I said, oh, you've, you've actually you've got something in your eye. Let, let me just get something to get that out. And, you know, as I'm turning around, I'm knocking out people, the welcome team, uh, with this big beam that is sticking out my eye. And you laugh. And that is exactly the response, I think, that Jesus generated when he gave this illustration, because it is ridiculous. But what he is highlighting is this silly kind of self-righteous judging. He's describing this kind of ridiculous judgmental attitude. It's the kind of attitude that, that you seek to point out the wrong in someone else's life, whilst all the time being completely oblivious to the wrong in your own life. It's self-righteous, arrogant judging of someone that completely ignores your own failures and your own shortcomings and your own sin. Now, just notice, look at the illustration that he gives. Notice that Jesus says, the speck in your brother's eye. So, brother is a, it's another term for a Christian, for someone in the church. So, we're talking about here Christians judging other Christians. And notice in verse 5, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, Jesus is not saying to point out, not to point out specks in other people's eyes or to remove them. We've got to do that. We've got to help each other remove these things. In other words, he fully expects us to to tell each other when we do do something wrong. That's not the problem. The problem is our attitude when we tell others that they've done something wrong. The problem is with almost everything that we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount is to do with our heart motivations. And the log in the eye, the big two by four that is sticking out, is the log of self-righteousness, which Jesus has just been rebuking constantly throughout this sermon. There is no room for that in his kingdom. Now, let's try and think, what could this look like in our church? Do you know, I wonder when Jesus preached this sermon, I bet, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, that as the people were there listening, there would have been some people that would have thought, that's right, Jesus. I wish that that person there would listen to that. They need to hear what you're saying here. And rather than looking at their own hearts, they start thinking about the people round about them, and they start passing judgment on them. But then chapter 7, Jesus says, do not judge, lest you be judged. Maybe when we have gone through this sermon we have used it as a basis for judging others. When Jesus spoke last week, remember that uh, as Sam very helpfully unpacked for us, that great teaching on money. When he spoke about how we should give our money to the work of God's kingdom, did we think about ourselves? Did we think about our own hearts and about the danger of greed that is so prevalent in all our lives? Or were we thinking 
Now that person with that fancy car needs to hear this. Now that person with those two houses needs to listen to this sermon. Why are we thinking that Christian has a lot of money? I wonder if they really are a Christian. Or what about when, when Jesus spoke a couple of weeks ago about the importance of uh, our private worship and, and not praying to impress others? Did, did you think, oh, that reminds me of that person who, who just prays these really long prayers and, and quotes from the, the AV version of the Bible? They should listen to this. Did we look down on others who we thought, ah, that person doesn't pray enough? thinking that they should be praying more. And maybe they should. But did we just put it to other people rather than applying it to ourselves? Or what about when Jesus spoke about reconciliation in the church? Did we apply that to someone else? What about when he speaks of the importance of integrity? Did we think about that person who we feel lacks complete integrity? What about when he speaks about the danger of anger and lust in this sermon? Did we apply it to ourselves in our own hearts? Or were we thinking about other people? You see how subtle this is. So many dangers. And it's not just that. We can judge people on on what they wear. You know, if the preacher is wearing jeans whilst he's preaching. Or maybe we we would judge the preacher if he was wearing robes and a dog collar. How they speak. How they raise their family. What kind of church they go to. And often in evangelical circles, we can be very quick to point out the doctrinal flaws, but slow to deal with the moral flaws in our own lives. And maybe you're, maybe you're judging someone right now because you think they're too judgmental. And look, sometimes, sometimes, though not always, sometimes the judgment is right in the sense that 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 is a problem that that person really does need to work on. That's not the issue. Maybe these people do need help removing these specks in their eyes. The issue is that when we do it without seeing the ridiculously massive log of self-righteousness jutting out of our own eye, you see, a genuine follower of Jesus will never think of themselves as being better than anyone. Never. Because as soon as you do that, you forget the gospel. You forget that it's only by the grace of God that you were saved. You forget that you deserve nothing but God's eternal judgment because of your sinful lifestyle. But God in His mercy chose to rescue you and to save you. Be careful, says Jesus, when you start thinking about other Christians that way. For with the unmerciful and the ungracious judgment that you pronounce on others, it could be pronounced on you. And there would be nothing worse for us than if God used our own standards against us because we are nowhere near as merciful and as kind as he is. If people are doing stuff that is wrong in this church, we must point it out to them, but we do so in a way that's completely humble, a way that's devoid of any form of superiority or self-righteousness. We do so in a way that is very much aware of our own failures. Second thing, we're not to lack discernment either. Jesus goes on in verse 6, he kind of, he's balancing out now what he says about not judging by saying to his followers that whilst they must not judge self-righteously, that doesn't mean that they mustn't lack discernment. Verse 6, do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, what is this all about? Well, 
the pearl, the, the sacred pearl that Jesus is speaking of here is the gospel. It's the good news of salvation. And we know that from uh, a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus compares the gospel to a pearl of great worth. That news that, that we as sinful people can, can be forgiven of all our sin and brought into this perfect loving relationship with God our Father for all eternity. That is the most precious and most amazing truth that the world has ever heard of. And it's so precious that, as Jesus says in Matthew 13, we'd be willing to give up everything we have in our lives for that great gospel truth. So, says Jesus, don't take that pearl, that precious pearl, and throw it to dogs and pigs. Now, who are these dogs and pigs? Well, in the culture that Jesus is speaking to, dogs were not like the, the dogs we have today. It's not like little Fido with his cute wee dog collar and a newspaper in his mouth. They were savage, filthy, dangerous animals. It's the same with pigs. Pigs were, were considered unclean, and they were aggressive. In fact, pigs are still aggressive today. My, my granddad was a um, as a pig farmer, and he's got a big chunk of his calf muscle missing from where he went to feed a pig, and uh, the mummy pig came and bit him in the back of the leg. So it's pretty cool. Um, but <laughs> they're dangerous animals. So these dogs, these pigs, they're they a metaphor that Jesus is using for people who are, we could say, spiritually unclean and deliberately antagonistic and hostile to the gospel. Jesus is saying, don't keep trying to share this precious gospel truth with people who are going to continually and forcefully reject it. Now, we really need to listen to that. We really need to listen to that. That's what Jesus says we are to do as his followers. But we've got to be careful here. You see, you can't usually know if someone is going to continually and forcefully reject the gospel until you tell them. So, this is not an excuse not to tell everyone, everyone about Jesus and his gospel. We must share that with the whole world. We are not to decide ourselves who's going to respond negatively or who's going to respond positively, because often God takes the most unlikely people into his kingdom. Just think of the, the Apostle Paul in the Bible. I mean, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. And before he was a Christian, it was part of his job to kill Christians. I mean, if I was to pick someone who I wouldn't share the gospel with, it would have been Paul. But that's who God saved and God rescued. So Jesus is saying that when, not if, but when you share the gospel with someone, if you find that they're responding aggressively and there's real antagonism, then just back down. Don't be the kind of person who is trying to constantly reason and argue with them when they clearly want nothing to do with it. That is not how disciples of Jesus should respond. People who usually keep persisting tend to have the same problem as those who judge self-righteously. It's about our pride. It's about our ability to reason, not about God's ability to change that person's life. And we are to love all people. We've seen that in the Sermon on the Mount. But the way you love someone who is constantly antagonistic to Jesus is not to ram the gospel down their throats, you walk away, or as Jesus later says in Matthew's gospel, you wipe the dust off your feet and you pray for that person. And you do so not with self-righteous smugness, 
but with the same heavy heart that Jesus had as he looked over Jerusalem and wept. The gospel is far too precious. Our time is too short for us to spend all our efforts sharing it with those who just want to trample it underfoot and attack you. So kingdom people will not judge self-righteously, but nor will they lack discernment. That's the negative. Now, do you feel how difficult that is to do? How do I know if I'm being self-righteous? How do I know if if it's time for me to walk away? That's why we need what happens in verse 7 to 12. These verses, it's the third point. We're to humbly seek God's help, to humbly love others. These are, again, wildly misquoted verses, and they're never to be taken on their own without Um, what we have just read. So look at these amazing words. Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Ask, seek, knock. What's the context? This is a call for followers of Jesus to forsake their pride and to humbly come on their knees to God and to ask for his help. You know, I hope you've been challenged by the Sermon on the Mount. If you're a Christian, you will have been very challenged by this sermon. Very challenged. But how, are, how do we respond to this? We are so prone to self-righteousness. And even in a sermon which is all about rebuking self-righteousness, we can respond by, by trying all by ourselves to be more righteous. So we hear what Jesus says in the sermon and we think, okay, I am going to be better at fighting off lust in my life. I'm going to be better at controlling my anger. I'm going to be better at giving away my money and being kind to other people. I'm going to sort out my prayer life. And it becomes all down to us and our willpower. And all that does is it breeds more self-righteousness. We have to work hard. We do have to work hard at what Jesus is teaching us in this sermon and the the perfect standards that he sets for us. But if we are to live the way that Jesus wants us to live, we need to come on our knees constantly and ask for help. That's what this section is about. That's why it's here in the sermon. It's hard. Ask, Jesus says. How many of us have have asked for help in these areas? If you're struggling to selflessly love others, if you're struggling to find the wisdom to help a sinning brother or sister in the church, if you're struggling to discern whether or not you should keep talking about Jesus to that person, ask. Look at the promise and make no mistake, it's a promise. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find if you knock, it will be opened. And look at verse 8. It's for everyone. Everyone. God does not give us the, the standards of the Sermon on the Mount and then just say, okay, well, I, I hope you manage. I hope you, you, you're able to do this and to live this way. He gives us this. He says, this is the way you're to live if you're part of my kingdom and let me help you. Put aside your pride. Let me help you. I promise I will. It's not, it's not, again, this can be wildly misunderstood. It's not Jesus saying here that whatever you ask of God, he, he will give it to you in the sense that God is some sort of cosmic slot machine. But it's asking God as a child would ask a father. 
And so some of you are parents and you know that you won't always give your children exactly what they want because sometimes what they want is ridiculous. But you'll give them exactly what they need to the best of your ability. That is what God is like. He wants to help us. And if we are not constantly and continually asking God to help us, then we have forgotten two things, who he is and just how desperate our situation is. Look at the illustration Jesus gives, verse 9. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We know how to care for your kids. You know, if your kid asks for an action man for Christmas, um, the kids, I don't know if kids still play with action men. I don't know if I've just shown my age there. Um, an action man or an action man equivalent, if they ask for that, what kind of parent would, would wrap up a hand grenade and give that to their children? What kind of parent would deliberately give something that's going to hurt and destroy their child? You wouldn't do that. None of us would do that. And Jesus says, well, you, us here, we are evil. It's pretty broad, pretty bold from Jesus. If we who are evil, in other words, we are sinners, wicked, sinful people, if we know how to do that with our kids, then think about God the Father, who is the source of all love. Think about Him. I mean, parental love is is such a strong bond of love, isn't it? But think about the one who is perfect in love and humility, what he will give his children. Even the strength of of our love is just a weak, pale reflection of the unlimited, unending, ever-increasing love that God has for us. I mean, look, think about it. What did it cost God the Father? What did it cost him to make us his children? He had to give up that which was most precious to him, his beloved son Jesus. He gave him up to bear the punishment of our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be brought into his family. These are words that we'll we'll sing at the end of this service. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure And if he can give up that which was most precious to him to save us, how can we think that somehow he will hold back on us? He is so good. He is so kind. And Jesus says he wants to help you. So ask. Ask him to to help you to love others selflessly because that's the way we're to behave as Christians. Ask him to, to, to help us to love the way that he has loved us. Humble prayer and dependence upon God is the only thing that will help us to treat others self, selflessly. See, dependent prayer, that's why it's great, we, not just individually, but corporately as a church, because we want to be like this in the way that we treat others. Dependent prayer is a hallmark of authentic faith. Dependent prayer is a, is a hallmark of authentic and real love for others. You see verse 12? Verse 12 never stands alone. It comes out of verse 7 to 11. 
That's why that very important two-letter word is there, soul. Because of who God is, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, Jesus is a great preacher. He, I mean, he's the Son of God, so you would expect him to be. He does what we can't do here in Chalmers. He just succinctly sums up everything. There you go. There's that entire chunk of the first half of the Bible summed up. Do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. This verse has been called the the golden rule, the, the Mount Everest of ethics. One little sentence, and yet if the church was a place where this sentence was perfectly lived out, it would be the most remarkably selfless loving society in the world. But you cannot do it without the humble prayer of verse 7 to 11. It's impossible. Look, look carefully at this verse. Very simple yet unique. Um, the Chinese philosopher Confucius had a, had a teaching on ethics, which I, sometimes, which I think maybe we confuse with what Jesus says here. He said this, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Now, that's very different to what Jesus is saying here, though that's sometimes how people read it. So, Confucius' saying is essentially very selfish and very self-involved. He's saying, well, I don't want people to be mean to me, so therefore I won't be mean to them. And the driving factor is self. It's not the other person. But Jesus' golden rule is so radically different. Look at it carefully. Whatever you wish whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. In other words, I wish that people would show me love and kindness all the time. But even if they don't, I will treat them that way. Do you see? It's utterly selfless love. Even if there's absolutely nothing in it for me, even if there's no gain for me, I will love and care for that person the way I would want to be loved and cared for, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done. If I lived like that, that means that not only would I never, I would never gossip, I would never objectify, I would never hate, I would never ridicule, I would never be filled with jealousy towards anyone. Not only would I not do that, But on the positive, I would be showing them kindness, attention, mercy, grace, compassion, and uncompromising love all the time. Unbelievably hard to live this out. That's why we need verse 7 to 11. Ask. If you have not done it, ask for forgiveness. Ask for help. This is the law and the prophets. This humble, dependent prayer and the selfless love for others, that is the entire Old Testament ethic. And if that is not how we are, then we are totally out of step with Jesus and totally out of step with the Bible. So ask, seek, and knock. You know, if you're not a Christian here tonight, You don't need to be a better person. You need saved from God's anger against your sin. You need that right now because tomorrow is never promised. You can't earn this salvation. But if you ask Jesus for forgiveness, he will give it. If you seek Jesus, you will find him. 
If you knock, he will open up the doors of the kingdom of heaven to you. And I say that with all the authority of the word of God. And to those who are Christians, we we keep on asking. We keep on seeking. We keep on knocking. Because we don't just need God to save us. We need him every single hour of every single day. We need him to help us to live for him. We need him to help us to show the selfless love to others that he has shown to us. What an amazing place Chalmers would be if we lived out these verses. Let me pray and ask God for his help to do just that. Father, thank you for this profound teaching. Simple, yet very profound. Father, there's much here that we see and we agree with, and yet we can be so lax to do anything about it. Father, there's much that we are challenged by in the Sermon on the Mount, and yet we don't ask for your help to live your way. Thank you that you're our Father. That's what we've seen all throughout this sermon. You are our loving Heavenly Father. And so, Father, may we treat you as our Father by speaking to you in prayer, by asking for your help. Father, pray that we would not be the people who judge others self-righteously, Father, pray that we would not lack discernment, but we would be wise with the gospel and how we share that precious truth. Father, I pray that we would be praying constantly and asking for your help and your mercy. And Father, we pray that you would help us to do to others as we would have them do to us. Father, help us to live out that profound truth of the prophets, of the law, of the entire Bible. In short, we pray you would help us to love you and to love our neighbor as ourself. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.